0: Okay, Acts chapter 9, the chosen vessel, and I've divided the message up into four separate sections that you may see on the uh, notes on the the message on your sheet, the chosen vessel from Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, and that particular portion of scripture with regard to the vessel was what? I wanted to spend some time looking at in tonight's message. There's also the con- conditional vessel, a conditional vessel that Paul encountered in the first chapter of Corinthians, the conditional vessel and thirdly, the contaminated vessel that we see laid out before us in the book of Jude. and lastly, the copious vessel, a vessel filled with blessings, a vessel filled with encouragement, from, the, from Psalm 23, from Luke chapter 6, and from Malachi, the book of Malachi, and some of those passages we will have a look at in a short time. Saul's conversion. There was a lot happening here on the road to Damascus. It was a profound event, and that is that there were many changes being made. One of the major ones was the change from Old Testament law now to New Testament liberty. What a change was occurring here. The chosen vessel from verse 15, where Jesus said directly to Paul, He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of israel a chosen vessel in many ways we can understand the use of that word vessel why would our lord and savior use such a such a term and when we consider these things we understand what a a valuable thing a vessel is a vessel made to encapsulate or hold or carry especially things of value. One of the very earliest things probably that were made by human hands would have been a vessel, I would imagine a vessel to carry water. It made it possible so that people every time they were thirsty did not have to go to the well over here or the spring over there. They were able then to carry water and store it up. I would imagine that the vessels would have been one one of the very first things that, that human hands were capable of making. What a wonderful gift the human hands are. How blessed we are to have such perfectly created hands that we can do so many things with. I'm filled with admiration for people who can play music People who can paint or sculpt or, in today's world, people who can talk to you on the telephone and use a keyboard at the same time. Wonderful things that they can do with hands. They've been replicated now in so many ways by robots. Robots that assemble computers and put cars together and do all sorts of wonderful things but they can't hold the hands of a sick or dying person. Our Lord has set some boundaries there, and I believe there's probably another wonderful message there that could be preached about the boundaries that our Lord has set. The same hands probably shortly after the, ves- the vessels were finished the same hands were probably those who were capable of making the club and the spear. And what does that say about our humanity? Vessels were very important. Even today the archaeologists are digging them up and having having a look at them. Very important things to carry water and to carry anything. Acts chapter 9, in this passage of scripture, our Lord says, Saul is to be a chosen vessel unto me. At the time that we become body and mind, we can be likened to a vessel. That is the way that we're made. Figuratively speaking, we're just like a vessel. We carry with us all the attributes that our Creator has given to us. The things that make us special and unique, we can consider to be a vessel. Do we have the image of being a a vessel, a clean vessel fit for the Master's use? We've been given a life vessel, the wonderful gift of life, We've been given gifts in our vessel that we can use either for the glory of God or to serve ourselves. There's decisions to be made here and we have the opportunities to make good choices. Are we going to be fit for the purpose that our Master has given us? Are we going to be fit for the Master's use? And these are the questions that we need to ask at this time. The events on the road to Damascus are two of the most dramatic events recorded in the New Testament. The first one in Acts chapter 2 is the events at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came given of the Lord Jesus Christ as he promised in the Gospels. And the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the people involved there, the church began to grow and grow very rapidly. The second great event here, I believe, is in the New Testament record, is the commissioning of Paul to become the great apostle that he became. But with it came a dilemma a real dilemma. It was a dilemma for the Apostle Paul. Ananias passed on to Paul basically the the baton to carry forward, to go from that point onwards and to serve our Lord and Saviour. Notice in verse twenty in our passage we didn't quite get there in the reading, but it says there and straightway Paul went to the gospels and went to the synagogues and preached, and preached Christ in the synagogues, that he indeed is the Son of God. We have the opportunity, like Paul, to be a bearer of God's grace. A witness to our Lord and Saviour resurrected. Paul was trying to make this transition from living under the law as a Pharisee now to being a servant of the risen Saviour. To go out to be a witness to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Jews a lot of things had to happen it was a dramatic event and that paul initially in the in the first few verses of our, our reading breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the lord going to the high priest to get permission to drag people from damascus back to jerusalem bound up to be dealt with there we remember that Saul had just come from bearing witness and being part of the stoning of Stephen, aiding and abetting the stoning of Stephen. He was much to be feared by the people of Damascus. Breathing fire and brimstone, now Paul had to make that transition. He was to go to the Gentiles to the kings and the Jews. Notice here that he went straightway. He was spirit-filled. He didn't go to the seminary to finish his course on theology. He went straightway to the synagogue to preach Christ and to preach Christ crucified. A lot of changes had to occur for Paul. He was apprehended of Christ as he says in another part of the uh, part of his letters, he was apprehended of Christ, in other words, he was pulled up in a hurry from the direction that he was going, stopped in his tracks as it were and uh, the question here is, have we ever been apprehended it's a word that the Police often use in their police reports that someone who was breaking the law, some offender, some criminal, has been apprehended, stopped in his tracks and taken in to custody. I remember many years ago I was apprehended by a policeman in a little mini-cooper. It's a long time ago, a long time since police... Ra- ran around in mini coopers but I was apprehended by a policeman in a mini cooper and uh, he told me that uh, I was doing the wrong thing which I was and that depending upon the magistrate I would have to pay a fine which I did and uh, I knew that I'd been in breach of the law I paid the fine and got on with my life But I was apprehended. I was stopped from going where I was going and I was apprehended. The Apostle Paul too was stopped in his tracks and apprehended. In uh, Romans chapter 9, Paul takes up the theme again. The the word vessel appears again in Romans chapter 9. Like the potter has the power to create vessels of honour. Paul makes the point here that also they can be created as vessels of dishonour. They can be created as vessels of mercy. They can be created as vessels of wrath. They can contain all of these things. They can contain grace as well. Praise God that... He has filled his vessels with mercy and grace for each and every one of us. In chapter 9 of uh, the book of Romans and verse 2, Paul now says that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. His concern now was for Israel He realised now that his own life that depended upon so much of the law has now been changed and that by the grace of God he had been saved by faith and faith only in the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Great heaviness and continual sorrow, he says in verse 2. The Apostle Paul knew the law better than anyone. He knew the law inside, out and upside down, been a student of Gamaliel, one of the great teachers in Paul's day, one of the great teachers of the law. Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as he said, of the tribe of Benjamin. He had all the credentials for somebody who could claim that they were keeping the law, trying to please God in the process. But what about the psalm? We know that Paul knew the Old Testament very well. Knew the law upside down and inside out. We wonder what he thought of the Messianic Psalms and the the words of the prophets from Israel. Prophets stretching from the book of Isaiah right through to Malachi. We can only but wonder what Paul thought of these things both before and after the events on the road to Damascus. No doubt that at some time very soon after the events on the road to Damascus, Saul began to put the pieces together with regard to the Messiah, whom he had just been apprehended by. Put to the ground and blinded for three days, Spoken to directly by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You notice here that in this encounter, God doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and and, uh, Isaac. He said, I am Jesus Christ, whom thou persecutest. Paul, very quickly, in his apprehension, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Came to know that he had been chosen as a chosen vessel, began to understand that God God is a God of election. God makes these choices. Christ was revealed so very clearly to the Apostle Paul through the wonderful salvation of faith in Christ. Back in Romans chapter 8, we're familiar there with that wonderful chapter there, It talks about our salvation, all the wonderful memory verses in chapter 8 of Romans. And then, as a follow-up, Paul skips over to Romans chapter 12, familiar scripture here, talking about our service to God, being Bring our reasonable service, from uh, Romans chapter 12, those first few verses that we're so familiar with, where it says, Brethren, I beseech thee by, me- by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies as the living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And three chapters in between there, where the Apostle Paul now comes to terms with the transition from law into grace. And he lays bare his heart with his concern for Israel. Chapter In chapters 9, 10 and 11 of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul lays out his heart asks a question what about my people who are rusted onto the law what about my people my people were chosen by God and now it seems that they were put to one side sidelined by the fact that salvation is by the mercy of God by faith through, through his grace and his grace alone what about my people says Paul I've taken up the vessel that he was given by Jesus Christ he had taken up that vessel gone straightway to the synagogue to preach Christ and now he's going to be considered to be an outcast to be a traitor to his own people And except for the fact that he was a Roman citizen, the Jews would have had him stoned just like Stephen. Except for the fact that his disciples led him over the wall to let him escape, he would have been killed for the fact that he'd been a traitor to his own people. Galatians chapter 3 and... uh, makes the comment there that the Gentiles now are to be grafted in. In the book of Romans talks about this in so many places. Grafted in, the Gentiles now grafted into Israel. Paul now getting an understanding of what is occurring here. Grafted in. We can understand... The process of grafting there are trees everywhere now that are grafted you can have three or four different fruits on the one tree as a consequence of the grafting process here though the Gentiles have been grafted into Israel and we know today there's a movement that suggests that Israel is no longer relevant to the Christian faith that Israel has been sidelined that's not what is being said here we as Gentiles have been grafted in and the fact that the graft in a tree bears all the fruit or the flowers doesn't mean that we can't survive without the rootstock without the rootstock of Israel we as Gentiles go nowhere we produce no fruit We produce no flowers. The rootstock of Israel will always empower us to be a witness and a testimony. If we do not understand the role that Israel is playing in our Christian life, we do not fully understand God's plan for mankind. Israel, we know, has been so frequently judged during the course of its history. And now there's imputed righteousness to the uncircumcised Gentiles by faith. And here in chapter 9, we can see in verses 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul takes up some of these themes. In verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he also justified, he also glorified. God's election here, take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles, as it was written. And over in chapter 10, more of the same theme, verses 1 and 2 Saul again pouring his heart out over the fact that Israel had suffered so much under the under the law. Paul saying, Brethren, my heart's desire is that they might be for my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Genesis, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 18 and uh, part of verse 25, it says there, Shall the judge of the whole earth... Do right? Shall the judge of the whole earth do right? And we know it's a rhetorical question. God, who created all things and created all the earth, yes, he will do right. He will judge right. He will judge the nation of Israel, and he has done all through the Old Testament for their disobedience. Constantly judged into captivity by the Egyptians, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians. Judged many times by God Himself. Judged for their disobedience and their unrighteousness. As Pastor was looking at a couple of a couple of messages ago. In the deserts between his uh, between Egypt and Israel in the deserts of Sinai where 3,000 of them were swallowed up but God was merciful tragic that 3,000 were swallowed up and lost but we need to remember that there was no righteous ones amongst the two million God was just and righteous he judged righteously The remainder were left to fulfil the promise of coming into the promised land. God kept all of his promises in spite of all the disobedience that occurred there, in spite of the unrighteousness. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? All of these things, no doubt, are, swilling around in Paul's head at this time all of these things were something that were placed upon on Paul's plate into his vessel dealing with the nation of Israel but God judges righteously we know that and uh, no one will give God's counsel at the end of chapter 11 in the, in the book of Romans, Paul here talking about God's election, God's faithfulness, God's power. In verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of God, or who hath been his counsellor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things, in whom be glory forever. Amen. God's election. Is all through this chapter. God's election of Israel over Egypt. Both were sinners. Both were unrighteous. God chose Israel over Egypt. God chose Moses over Pharaoh. Both were murderers. Both were unrighteous. God elected Moses over Pharaoh he chose Jacob over Esau Jacob was the firstborn Uh, rather Esau was the firstborn was naturally the inheritor of all Jacob was the secondborn and yet God chose Jacob over Esau the Gentiles now were given to be the keepers. They were not the keep rather they were not the keepers of the law, but they were now chosen over the Jewish zealots who were zealously keeping the law for generation after generation, and now salvation was offered to the Gentiles. This was probably a great dilemma for Paul as he came to terms with the vessels that he was given. In uh, verse 8 of chapter 10, Paul says... um, Sorry, verse 3 of chapter 10, Paul goes on to say, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves... To the righteousness of God. And consequently, the salvation now is through faith has been sent to the uh, to the uncircumcised Gentiles. They had not submitted, the Jews had not submitted to the laws. Well, they had submitted to the Lord, but now not submitted to um, salvation through faith. Those who do not submit carry an empty vessel. Our Lord says, I will have mercy on those whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. God has been so great in offering to one and all the wonderful vessels of salvation and mercy. His own vessel is full of boundless and endless grace, grace and mercy. We know that we too have vessels. Our body and mind are like a vessel. We have choices that we need to make with regard to what we put in them, what we bring to God as an offering, how we use our vessel through our earthly journey. We've been offered vessels of mercy and vessels of honor and love and compassion. Unfortunately, there's many people that reject what God has given to them so freely made some bad choices and filled their vessels with self self-indulgence and pride and willfulness sometimes dishonor but always rejection of what God in his mercy has offered to us offered to fill our vessels with the wonderful things that that will give him the honor and the glory and yet we make quite often the bad choices that we make, willful rejection of the wonderful things that God has offered to us so freely. The fool says in his heart there is no God from Psalm 14 and verse 1 that our brother Gerald spent so much time in that seat over there. It was always printed on the front page of the bulletin during the many years that he served so faithfully in printing the bulletin the fool says in his heart there is no god the evolutionists today say amen to that there is no god we have no room for a god there is none we we are our own gods we make our own rules we break the rules when it suits us. We have scientists today, godless people saying there is no God, and they're in our schools and they're in our universities, they're in our institutions all through the country. people with empty vessels telling the world there is no God. We see complete examples of this in in the world of science. Trying to find a way to disprove that there's a God, a creator God who created all things and gave us so much. Gave us vessels of choice in which we could either fill and serve the Lord or serve ourselves. There are so many examples of the fool that says in his heart there is no God. Reading recently some of the work by the the late Dr. Ralph Matthews who wrote a long series for the publication, The Biblical Fundamentalist. He was talking here about fools in the scientific community who spent much time trying to teach a chimpanzee to talk on the theory that the chimpanzee is the next person below the line of evolution at which mankind supposedly is at the top, the chimpanzee down here. Time after time they spent trying to teach a chimpanzee to talk. Just try to get a mental picture of this. The chimpanzee over there in a chair with a chain on his leg so that he can't get away. Our scientific friend over here in a chair with a tape recorder fancying himself as being the next great discoverer probably seeing his face on the cover of Time magazine hopefully with his photo and not the chimps spending time trying to teach a chimp to talk. What fools would do such a thing as this? Rather ironic, isn't it, that you can teach a budgerigar to talk? A hundred grams of budgerigar with no arms and a lot of feathers. How galling it must have been for our scientific friend over here to know that a budgerigar can talk and it looks less like a human being really than most of the creatures that God has made. Dr. Matthews went on then to talk about Piltdown Man. Piltdown is a place in England where people were doing some quarry- quarrying. They dug up some bones. They thought that they'd found the missing link that scientists have been searching for for so long, the evolutionists have been searching for, knowing that the person who found the missing link was going to have instant fame and fortune. They were going to go on lecture tours and write scientific papers. They'd be much lauded throughout all the world as finding the missing link. Someone dug up a few bones and the quarry at Piltdown. down. Dr Matthews goes on to say... Piltdown Man was handy with tools. Piltdown Man, before he died, went to Bunnings over here, bought himself a file, filed his teeth down, bought himself a saw and sawed his jaw in half, took a piece out and glued it back together. He was a star exhibit in the London Museum for 40 years with a few other bones put Beside him, and this was the missing link. For 40 years, people filed past looking at the missing link, paying good money to get into the museum. For 40 years, no one bothered to look at the teeth closely to see the file marks. When someone discovered them, poor old Piltdown man was taken out, put away in a, in a storage area somewhere, and was never seen again. How desperate these people are to find something to discredit the God of creation, the God of the Bible. How desperate they are. What empty vessels they are as a consequence. Contaminated vessels. The have fill their vessels with the world, fill their vessels with all of the things of this world. I'm old enough to remember the isms that have come and the isms that have gone. All of these things that the world throws into our vessels even today. A long list of isms that hopefully we can avoid and know that we need to keep our vessels clear and and clean. A long list of isms, and I've made a note of a few of them. Communism. I'm old enough to remember those days immediately after World War II when the Russians occupied the eastern part of Germany and communism took over there. Stalin, Joseph Stalin, killing millions of people in the cause of communism. Communism. What a terrible thing to have occurred. I can remember that to stave off the influence of communism, the Americans had to fly supplies to feed the people in West Germany, had to fly them in over the occupied territory of East Germany, year after year, all of the foodstuffs that they needed to dodge the grip that the communists had upon Germany after World War Two, the fascism that was involved with Hitler and Mussolini in Italy the communism back in China Chairman Mao in the communist revolution there killing countless people the paganism that the world was the world the system for so long agnosticism we see that with people who think that they're going to have a little bit of a they're going to sit on the fence and have a bit each way when something comes along to test their trial uh, testing trials and tribulations they might decide they might make up their mind eventually if God hits them over the head with a problem Agnosticism with the problems that they have without being able to decide. Straight out atheism that is rampant in the world today. The people that say, no, there is no God. The antagonism that there is toward Christians when people have the courage to stand up, to speak out against the social and moral issues that face the world today the antagonism that goes on. God is so long-suffering toward us. What a blessing that he saved us from all this. For the saved, God would have it that our vessels be filled with his mercies and grace to avoid the things of the world that are thrown at it constantly. In the book of Lamentations, the prophet says there in those wonderful words in the book of Lamentations that talks about the blessings that we have. He says in that passage in in verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Notice in this passage of Scripture the plurals there. The Lord's mercies, plural. His compassions, plural. They are new every morning and great is thy faithfulness. The multitude of thy mercies that are given to us. The multitudes of mercies. In Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 6 and verse 23, rather verse 33, our Lord says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things and his righteousness, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God's grace is so sufficient for every need that we have, it can fill every vessel. Every vessel that we have can be filled. The vessels here, there's some more instances in God's word. In in the book of Psalms where David says, My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. My cup, my vessel runneth over, full and running over, with God's mercy and grace. We have the opportunity to dispense some of this grace and mercy in the world today. What wonderful qualities they are, grace and mercy, if we're able to Dispense grace to the people that we meet, not just the people that we meet here, but what a wonderful gift being gracious is and showing mercy. In the book of Luke, and we might just perhaps turn there, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 6 and uh, verse 38, here it says. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Shaken down and running over. Most of you probably know that I spent a lot of my life as a grain grower and there's a a parallel here if any of you have been to the Burke museum in Beechworth I was there many years ago and they had a they had a vessel a, a vessel that contained one bushel It looked like a big big brass container about 30 litres and officially it was a bushel. When you sold a bushel of grain, that was to be the measure that was to be used. It was to be gently filled and then when it was full, the flat surface on the top was to be struck with a straight edge and the surplus taken away, and that was to be a bushel. If it didn't weigh 60 pounds, it was defective, too much straw, and the grower expected to take a discount as a consequence. If it weighed more than 60 pounds, that was a bonus for all concerned, because in wheat it can vary by about as much as 10%. Year on year, that was to be the bushel measure. And uh, in the book of <coughs> in the book of Proverbs, it says so clearly there that false measures are an abomination to God. We need to have fair measure. In this passage of Luke, it goes on to talk about the wonderful blessings that we give it in our bless uh, in our vessel. It says here, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. In the official measuring process for a bushel of wheat, you're not allowed to shake it down. You're not allowed to press it down. But here our gracious Heavenly Father is saying that for the faithful Christian, he offers our vessel to be filled, not only filled but shaken down shaken together and running over, piled up to the top. What a wonderful God we have who can do that for us. God's desire is to fill us with grace, which is unmerited favour. What a wonderful gift from a loving father to his children. Even we as fathers, as earthly fathers, Take pleasure in giving good gifts to our children. I can remember many occasions when our boys were growing up, fixing cars and buying cars and doing things and how happy I was to be able to help them and to give these gifts to them. Our gracious Heavenly Father, is so happy to fill our gifts, to have our cups running over and our vessels running over with mercy and grace. There's a passage in the book of Malachi that talks about it the same thing in a different context. Its context was it was a warning to the Jews not to rob God. And the warning for us with regard to our keeping our vessels full of mercy and grace and love is not to rob God in any way at all. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there be meat in mine house, and prove me now for herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall be not room enough to receive it. God wants us to give us a blessing and to fill our vessels, keep our vessels clean and fit for the Master's use, ready that we might pour it out. Our Lord has promised that our blessings will be refilled like the widow's cruse of oil in the Old Testament with Elisha. Her her cruise was continually filled. Our Lord has promised these things to us. Unthankfulness is a problem that we can have. If we want to forfeit God's blessings, just be unthankful for the things that we have, for the wonderful blessings that he's given to us. We can forfeit God's blessings if we're unwilling to share what we have. What a wonderful privilege it is to be able to share what we have. Whether it be of our fellowship, of our love toward the brethren, whether it be in physical and financial ways, what a wonderful privilege it is to be able to share the gifts that we've been given into our vessel. If God's grace is free, and it is free to all, it costs us nothing. Why shouldn't we be able to pass it on? What a wonderful privilege it is to be able to do that. How gracious is our Lord and Saviour! How graciously he has dealt with all during the course of history how graciously he still will deal with Israel. We know that the key to the events that are occurring in the world today is quite often the events that are occurring in Israel. The future events that will unfold before us will involve Israel again. And for those of us who think that Israel, because of their zeal for the law and their rejection of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, will bring them undone. We know that they will suffer as a consequence of that. But there will be a triumph, that God will establish his kingdom, that Israel will evangelise the world in the end times, those 144,000 that will survive and go on to change the world. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege of being called your people to be bearers of the vessel that you've given to each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, to guard it jealously, to be able to dispense to others that which you've given to us. Thank you Lord for your grace and your mercy and your love to the unmerited to the wayward to those of us who have who have in past times come to an understanding that we have a long way to go even today we know Lord that we are progressing slowly in our Christian life Thank you for what you are teaching us constantly through the course of our earthly journey. We pray, Lord, that all honour and glory will be given to you for what you have done for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gift of your word, for the love that you've demonstrated, first of all, to the nation of Israel and then to the Gentiles for the salvation that had been bought and purchased at great cost by our Lord and Saviour. All honour and glory go to you for that wonderful salvation plan that is slowly being put into place and the days are coming, we know, when all will be fulfilled. And the kingdom spoken of so often in the Gospels will be established and our Lord and Saviour will rule and reign forever. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gifts that you've given to each and every one of us. We pray, Lord, that we will present our vessels clean and fit for your use that we will not allow them to be filled and contaminated with the things of this world, that we will allow them to be filled to overflowing with your love and your mercy and grace, so that in a lost and dying world we might be a shining light, we might be the salt of the earth that you talk about in the pages of the Gospels. Help us, Lord, to take up these challenges We thank you, Lord, for what you've already done for us and for the wonderful promises that are given to us in your word in the days and the years and the eternity that stretches ahead of us. Thank you, Lord, for what you've accomplished. All honour and glory belong to you and we give you thanks and praise in our Saviour's precious and holy name. Amen.